This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Many, many of your, your children, I, I had a, the opportunity and the great privilege to work with in the Children's Ministry of Excellence. And now those children, it's, it's amazing as the years go by, now those children are, are, are getting prepared for the next phase of their lives, for the next stages in their lives. And we want them to be successful. We want them to be successful. And that's why we're coming with the Word of God. So listen, before we get too far and too deep into, the, uh, into our, our, our review this morning, Again, we're talking about, am I ready for the married state? Am I ready for the married state? Right? What that means is that, that there's preparation needs to take place. When we talk about the married state, that means that, that the married state is not where you are right now. If you're not married, the married state is not where you are right now. And it's not similar to where you are right now. It's an actual change in position. It's a change in status. So let's talk about the definition of marriage. And I hope, the, I hope that I got all these, all these uh, words correct. Marriage is a divine institution created by God, whereby two rational, free moral agents, a man and a woman, who were born again, choose to enter into a lifetime covenant. With another imperfect person. Did I, did, I, did I get that right? All right, you all should know this better than me. At this point, we've been going over this for, for several, several months now. And so we talked about marriage. It's a divine institution. Marriage, marriage is God's idea. Man would have never thought of marriage. You know what? Man would have been out hunting and fishing and just, and just doing his own thing. You know, marriage, marriage is God's idea. And because it's God's idea, because it's God's design, because marriage is God's institution, he sets the parameters. He establishes the, um, the pathway for marriage. He, he sets the boundaries for what is marriage and what is not marriage. We said our objective is to help you to be able to answer this question at this point. You should have been able to ask this question of yourself and, and come up with the answer is, is, am I ready for the married state? And we said that if you weren't quite sure about the, about the question, sometimes when we rephrase it in a different way, our minds and our brains, they think differently. You know, it's just kind of weird. That's just the way our brains function. What you ask your mind to do, that's what it does. It, it, it doesn't volunteer or anything else. But you, so you sometimes have to come at it a different way. And he says, well, well, how do I know? How do I know when I'm ready for the married state? And so we talked about, um, you know, your godly filters of authority and getting their counsel on this question. And we said that in all seriousness, the, the answer to the question has to be settled inside of you. That at the end of the day, mama can't tell you. It really doesn't matter what, 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 what dad has to say about the matter. At the end of the day, you have to be able to answer, hey, you know what? That, that, that good-looking man, that good-looking woman, they can't answer that question for you. They cannot answer that question for you. You have to be able to settle it within yourself. 
But when I mean settle, it means that you have to say, this is, this is what the answer is, and this is it. This is, this is, there, there's no changing on this. We said it's a, it's a lifetime commitment. It's a lifetime covenant. And so what we, what we asked last week were, were several questions. We talked, about, we talked about the institution of marriage and that, that because it's a divine institution that we can't treat it uh, as, as though it's an add-on, as though it's an accessory. You know, we, and, and I said that we, we talked about how marriage is a reflection of Christ in the church and, and, and your marriage is actually it, it's a, it's a reflection of your relationship, of your relationship with God. And too often we, we, we treat our marriages the same way the same way that we treat our relationship with God as as, as, a, as a thing of convenience, as, as as something there you know when when I need it, but if I'm inconvenienced by it, then you know I'm going to put it on the back burner. And so we said that your 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 marriage you can't you can't think of it as an accessory. You can't you can't say well I got my my college degree I got my first car now I need to go and get a wife. It's not. It's not an add-on. It's 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 not. It's not just another checkbox in your in your in the roadmap that you've already pre-planned. You can't say, well, you know, I got I got my high school degree, I got my job, you know, I got my master's degree. Now it's time, you know, for for me to have children. So I guess along the way I'll pick up a husband. You know, along the way, maybe. No, you can't, you, can't, you can't treat God's institution as, as something that's, that's just an accessory, that's, that's an add-on. He sets the boundaries. He sets the pathway. He establishes his purpose and his perspective in marriage. And so today what we're going to get into is why premarital counseling? We're going to talk about some of the, some of the questions that you should have asked yourself of why premarital counseling. And one of the things that, that was, was pointed out, go to Proverbs chapter um, go to Proverbs chapter eighteen. So my, my aim in these, in these teachings is, uh, is not to, to reteach the messages. We're just going to touch on some of the major points that were covered during the messages. But we really want to focus on the questions that you should have been asking yourselves. The answers that you should, that you should have gotten from these teachings. And so Proverbs chapter 18 verse 22 it says, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. And so Minister Martin, he taught on this and he said that, you know, when, when you find a wife, that you, that you found a good, a good thing. It says once, once you make that choice, God, God says you're married. Once, once you're married, God agrees with your marriage. God is not in opposition to you getting married. And God is not in opposition to your marriage. Right? Just, just know that. God is not standing against you. He is giving you the ability to choose. Now, if God was standing in opposition to you, then he wouldn't give you the ability to choose. You know, sometimes that's, that's how we do. 
we ask somebody, well, do you want this or do you want that? You know, do you want, you know, seafood or you want steak? And we know what we really want. But, you know, we, we, we pretend like we're giving them the choice, right? And then they say, well, you know, I like some steak. Oh, you sure? You sure about that? No, God, God, has, God has given you the ability to choose. So once you're married, God says you're married. He is in favor of your marriage. And marriage is honorable in all. But now, because it's your choice, it's important that you know how to choose. It is important that you pay close attention to how you choose. It's not to be taken lightly. You know, we said that before, that, that marriage, it's, it's one of the most important decisions that you'll make in your life outside of choosing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's, you know, it's, I, I can't think of anything that, that's, that's, that's even more vital to your life and to the way that you're going to live your life until you die. Literally, until you die, the decision of whether to marry or not to be married. Now, what do you mean? You mean when, if we stay married for it? No, if, if you stay married, if you get divorced, whatever happens, from the moment that you decide to get married, your life has changed. It, it literally has changed. It, w- it will not be the same again. It will not be the same again. No matter what you make of that marriage, your life will not be the same again. You know, one of the things that, that came to my mind was in, uh, in Genesis. So let's, let me just real quickly go through some of the materials. It says, because marriage is not to be taken lightly, then we need to know how to choose. We need to know how to count the costs. We need to understand that God hates divorce. And we need to be prepared. We said that God established the pattern for marriage, even at the beginning with Adam. That first there is counsel, and then there's marriage. And go to Genesis chapter 2 and 18. So God, God is in favor of your marriage. He's not against your marriage. Genesis 2 and 18. And the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. So the Lord says, You know what? It is not good that man, and I love that that man is, is, is lowercase. It's not, it's not good that mankind should try to satisfy themselves in and of themselves. That they should be alone. He says, but I'm going, to make, I'm going to make him, now he's talking about the male man. I'm going to make the male man a help that is suitable, that is suitable for him. Why do I say that? You know, it's God, when God is saying it's not good for man to be alone, he's talking about the man and the woman. It's, it's, it's not good for the woman to, to be without, without the companionship that, that, that she's looking for. It's not just a man thing. It's not, it's not just a man thing. People want to put, um, they, they, want to, they want to classify based on gender that, well, you know, men need certain things and women need certain things. You, you know what? There are differences. But there are women out there that, 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 
are desirous of marriage just as much as there are men out there. And I know a lot of women are like, well, you know what, we all want to get married, but these fellas, they ain't even thinking about it. You know, I hate to say it, but there are men that are out there that are just as desirous of marriage as the women that are out there. Now, the challenge is, is, is where are you looking? Is where, 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 where are you looking? Are you looking at all those thug heathens that just want to mess around and not make a commitment? That just want to wear you as an accessory because of how you look and because of how you make them look? Oh, I'm sorry, I was talking about the, the women, you know, and the men. Well, I, it can go the other way, too. Right? There, there, there's, there's some women that they want to have a man that looks a certain way, that drives a certain thing, because he's their, you know, that's, that's, that's their bracelet. Right? There, there's some men that they want to have a woman that looks a certain way. Right. That dresses a certain way that, that, that comes off a certain way, because when he's talking to to all his friends, he wants them to be, he wants he wants his friends to be envious of him because he's with her. That's that. That's that accessory mentality that I was talking about. God is like, it's, it's not good that man should be alone. And so what he does is he makes he makes. For the man. Help suitable for him. So already God is establishing the order of the home. He says, I, I, I'm going to, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my direction to you. And it's going to be up to you to establish a direction for the home. But I'm going to give you help that is suitable in fulfilling my will and fulfilling my commandments. So Genesis 18 it said, Genesis 2 and 18, it says, God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help. Meet for him. And jump down to verse 23. And Adam said, this is after he's gone to sleep and God has pulled the woman from his side. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And I love the way that, that the, uh, the King James English states it. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones. And flesh of my flesh. So that, 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 that speaks to a point in time. You know, maybe before it wasn't bone in my bones and flesh in my flesh. You know what? Maybe before it wasn't a good thing. Maybe in, in that, in, it, it was not the season for marriage. But, but now she is. That's what we talked about. When you're married, you, you change your state. Now we are in a different place. We're in a different position. And now she's bone in my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. It says, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And let's focus on this last, this last scripture. It says in this last verse, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. It says they were, they were both completely exposed. They were both complete, these two imperfect people, this man and this woman. Adam was not the perfect man. We find that out in Genesis 3. Eve was not the perfect woman. We find that out also. This, this imperfect man, this imperfect woman, they were completely exposed to each other. 
when it talks about naked, we think about it in terms of clothing. They were completely exposed. He could see her for who she was. Her character. Her nature. Her temperament. She could see him for who he truly was. His, his diligence. His faithfulness. The quality of his work. And they were not ashamed. They were not ashamed. I had to look that up. I was like, what is this? What? I mean, I had to read it twice because I, you know, I, I, I always thought that, that, you know, they were not afraid. But I said, so wait a second, let me. But in Genesis 2 and 25, it says, and they were not ashamed. It says, what does that mean? What is that, that shame? You know what shame is? Shame is feeling guilt. It's feeling disgrace. Because there was a standard that was out there and that standard wasn't met. Because there was a, a, a boundary that was set and that boundary was crossed. So they, they were not ashamed. Shame is, is feeling inferior or unworthy. Shame is feeling inferior or unworthy. Here these two imperfect people are. And they know that the other person knows all these things about them. But because they've come together according to God's guidelines, there's no shame. There's no inferiority. There's no, I'm just lucky to be with you. Right? There's no, I don't deserve this. There's no way, you know, you're lucky I picked you up out of Piccadilly, you know, Mississippi or whatever. whatever. You name your city, you name your state. I don't want to get in trouble with my southern brothers and sisters. I found you on the south side, you wasn't nothing. And now, and now look where you are. No, they, 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 were, they were not, there was no inferiority. There was no unworthiness. You know, these are some of the things that you have to get settled before you get married. There, there's, there's, there's people that are walking around with this, this feeling inside of them that they are less than. That, that what God has made them is not enough. And they're trying to find that, that person that's going to complete them and make them worthy in the sight of mankind and in the sight of God. But you're going to have to settle within yourself that who God has called me to be is all that I need to be. Who God has called me to be is all that I need to be. So that when you are in the marriage union, it's not about your family. It's not about his family. It's not about how much you make. Or how much she makes. It's not about what one person knows or what the other person knows. You need to be able to expose yourself completely. These are my, these are my fears. These are my motivations. This is what I know. This is what I don't know. And be able to stand before your spouse and not, not feel at all inferior. Not feel at all inferior or unworthy. 
Amen. So, so how do I how do I choose? And Minister Martin, he talked about establishing a standard and sticking to it. He says, well, what what is a standard? God points out the standard. He he lets he lets you know this is this is this is what it means for for those that that truly love you. This is you know how how you know how you know those that love the Lord. They keep his commandments. How do you know those that love the Lord? They keep his commandments. Say, so are they are they born again? Are they filled with the Spirit? And I know a lot of times we say, well, you know, nobody can. They just can't see. You know, it's but I see it. Nobody else can see it, but I see it. You know what? We are. Those that, have, those that have given their lives to Christ, we are as, as cities that are on hills. We are made to shine forth the glory of our Lord. It's not a question of they can't see it, and I, but I can see it. No, it's not there. If it can't be seen, that means it's not there. And we'll talk about that. Don't, don't, don't fool yourself about your potential spouse's behavior. So this is the action for this week. In your own words, write down what are your standards and what are your preferences. Preferences are the things that, that, that you think right now matter to you. Preferences are, at the, are the things that at this point in time that you believe actually you know, matter to you. Standards are those things that are unchangeable, those things that are non-negotiable. As an aside to that, you know, write down what is what is your understanding of God's standard for marriage? What do you what do you truly believe that what what is God's standard for marriage? And as you're thinking about that, also meditate on well, what has God spoken to you about your service to Him? What has God spoken to you about your service to Him? And then be honest. Write, write, write them down. What are, what are, your, what are the things that you're, you're saying are your preferences? Are you saying that, that she needs to have a credit score above 700? I, I, you know, I, just, I, just, I just love you, brothers, that, that say that she needs to look a certain way. All that changes. She needs to have a certain background, a certain degree. You know, law school graduates make the best housewives. They really do. They really do. So you're, you're thinking that you're getting one thing because of what's on the piece of paper. But no, you're, you're marrying into the covenant. It's a lifetime commitment. So write, write down what those preferences are. Women, are you saying that, 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 that you want a man that'll work? Okay. Write that down. And when he's working six days a week, 18 hours a day, just, just re- go back to that paper and reflect. He says, I said I wanted a man that would work. Are you saying, are you saying that, okay, he, he's making you know, good money now. He must be the right choice. 
What if God calls him to the ministry? That high paying job. And tells him to, to, to give his life away. To give his life to his community. Expecting nothing in exchange. What, what, what's going to happen to the commitment then? So write down, write down your, your preferences. And then here's the, here's the great part. Here's, here's the fun part. Now you need to have a date. You need to have a time and a place where you and your potential spouse, you come and you talk about some of the things that you wrote down. Do not assume that you know the other person's answers to these questions. Don't assume that you both have the same understanding of what God's standard for marriage is. Because you're different, you're different people. Even if they're in the same ministry as you. Why is that? Because they have seen marriage carried out differently in their home than the way that you've seen marriage carried out in your home. There's nothing, there's nothing quite like the lesson that's been taught, the words that have been spoken, and then the examples that have been set. And as, as much as you would think that the words would have more impact because they're repeated over and over again, the things that you live, they have the deepest impact. And even when you don't want that to be a part of your reality, you find that it comes up. You find that it comes up. You know, one of, one of the ways that you allow yourself to stay on track, that you allow yourself to stay focused, is that you have to constantly challenge your imaginations. You have to constantly challenge your imaginations and weigh them against the Word of God. You have to pull yourself up and say, you know what, this is what, this is what I believe. No, this is not how I've been acting. This is not what I said yesterday or last week or even this morning. But this is what I believe. And if you have, if you have a, a partner that says, I, I believe the word of God. If you have a partner that says that, that where, where I, I need to change, I'm going to change. You've got something that God can work with. Not, not something that you can work with. You've got something that God can work with. I, I, I encourage you that are considering um, the married state, I encourage you to put, put away your toolbox. Put away your, your manipulations and your suggestions. Stop trying to work on your fiancé. Stop trying to, to nudge him. Stop trying to, to push her to be who you want them to be. To be in a place that, where you want them to be at. Allow God to work on you. 
allow God to work on you. He said, Brother Everhart, you were talking about my fiance, now you're talking about me. That's right. Because it, it, it begins and it ends with you. It begins and it ends with you. God has to, God has to work on you. And once you're prepared, then the time is, is, is now. Then the time is now. But until, you, until you're prepared, it's not now. It's not now. We talked about God's perspective and the purpose for marriage. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. And I'm just going to read verse 21. I love Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. He talks about, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. And he's talking about the, how we walk in love in a very practical sense. And then he boils down to verse 21. He says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. He talks about wives and their submission to their husbands. And husbands loving their wives and their responsibilities. So when we look at God's perspective and purpose for marriage, it's not one where, where one person is over another, but where each is submitted one to another in the fear of God. So in your marriage, in your life, there has to be reverence. There has to be honor for God. We honor Him above all. We honor Him above our feelings, above our emotions. We honor Him above things that are seen and things that are not seen. We honor Him in times of plenty. We honor Him in times of want. There's always a constant reverence for God, for He is your source. Minister Hastings talked about in preparation for the marriage, don't be so consumed with the wedding day. Don't have your mind so focused on the wedding day that you forget to prepare for marriage. Because your marriage should be a reflection of Christ and the church. says that, that God's purpose for your marriage is to produce a godly seed. God's purpose for your marriage is to produce a godly seed. And this, this is especially true in the, uh, in the marriage union, but it's true for all believers. You know, there, there, there are many people that they will never set foot inside of this church. But any time that they are in your presence, they should experience this church. They should experience the teachings of this church. They should experience the love that is in this church. Because we give glory to God. I was, I was looking back at, at, um, in, our, in our keepsake drawer. And we have... Um, we have I guess I'm just a pack rat that way. 
We have years and years of anniversary cards that we receive from this ministry. These are custom-made cards that are made um, for, for people um, on their wedding anniversaries. And, it's, and it talks about you know, how many years we've been married. There's scriptures in there. There's decorations in there. And it says it is, it's a custom-made card, I think, by Barbara. I don't know who Barbara is. I don't, I don't know if Barbara has ever been in this ministry. But you know what? She's been in this ministry. Because she's been in the presence of someone in this ministry. She's been in their presence. And so she knows the heart of the people in this ministry. When people come into your home, they need to know that there is a God. And that God loves them. You know, when people come into your home, you're not going to be able to give them Leviticus. You're not going to be able to give them numbers. You're not going to be able to give them the law and God's restrictions and God's prohibitions. One of the things that we do when we, when we teach the children in the back, our only goal, one of our goals, is, is, is for the children to know that God exists. We want the children, we want your children that are not able to have agency, they're not able to make decisions for themselves, they're not able to be responsible for themselves, so they're not ready to make a, de a decision for Christ because they have no consciousness of sin. But we want them to know that God exists. And we want them to know that God loves them. We want them to know that God loves them. In all that we do, even in the rules that are set forth and in the celebrations that go forth, we want the children to know that God exists and that He loves them. So when people are encountering you, you're going to have to ask yourself, do you truly believe that God exists? And do you truly believe that God is a God of love, that He loves everyone? With those things, you can, you can, you can begin to produce a godly seed. It's, it's, not, it's not always about the children that come from your loins. What if you happen to, to marry and there are already children present? you're still going to need to produce a godly seed. We're saying this is a lifetime commitment. If you get married in your 20s, if you get married in your 30s, and you live into your 80s, you've been married for 50 years. How long were children in your home? 18, hopefully. 25 in some cases. There are significant amounts of time when your children are beyond that age of whole dependence on you. And you're going to have to produce a godly seed when you can't mandate what they do. When you can't dictate what they do. So for my wife and I, you know, we got, we got our practice. Is we started practicing on my nieces and nephews. Before our children came, we were like, bring them down. It's summertime. Bring them to us. We would love to have them. We would love to host them. 
You know, I didn't have a TV in my house when we first got married because TV was not my thing. But when my nephew came down, I wanted to make sure that he had a, a great time. And so I pulled out the, uh, the game system that, that the guys got me for my bachelor party that I never even opened up. And I actually bought a TV set. Why? Because I wanted to make sure that I had the opportunity to have an impact on his life. Because when he came into our home, I wanted him to know God exists and that God loves him. You know, beyond your nieces and your nephews, there are young people in this church. I think they call them Pastor Hill's Arrows. And those people are looking to those that are older in this ministry, trying to understand what is it going to be like 10 years from now, 20 years from now. And there's another opportunity for you to leave a godly seed as you put your hands on the work of this ministry. As you demonstrate your faithfulness, you are modeling for them that, yeah, I believe God exists. And I know that he loves you. Because he loves you, there's nothing I wouldn't do for you. We said that in, in your marriage that you need to be, become established before you get married. And this goes back to some of that, that shame that we talked about before, that, that inferiority, that, that feeling unworthy. You know, you need to settle some things in your heart because unfinished business will definitely cause stress in the marriage. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says that 11, when I, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And so the question that Minister Haston asked was, how, how is your speech? How is your understanding? And how is your thinking? So one of the things that, that we'll ask you to do as, as you reflect on God's perspective and purpose for marriage is how will I show forth, how will I demonstrate God in my marriage? How do I think I'll be able to demonstrate God in my marriage. How will I demonstrate God to those that are coming into my home? How will I demonstrate God to my children? How will I demonstrate God in my church community. You know, these, these, these are things that, that we need to ask ourselves. You know, it shouldn't be a question or a concern or, or even a surprise when your spouse has to go to choir rehearsal. 
when they have an ushers meeting. That shouldn't be a cause for alarm in your marriage. Coming out to Wednesday night service, that shouldn't be a cause for an argument in a marriage. You know, but but too often we become so selfish and so self-absorbed. And these, these, these signs, they're there before you get married. They need to be settled. We want to close ourselves off and say, well, this is our honeymoon period. And so we're gonna, it's just going to be us for the next six months. We're not going to see anybody or do anything. It's just going to be us in our own little cocoon, in our own little world. A city that's on the hill cannot be hidden. Your marriage is, is supposed to be on display. People are supposed to see you. They're supposed to interact with you. That's how you show for the glory of God. One of the things where, where, where I, I um, in our, my early marriage, when God gave me strong correction is my wife and I, we were very involved in ministry. We've always been, you know, excited and zealous about the things of God. But now my wife, she was, she, she was um, in a choir. In that choir, they rehearsed a lot. And I quite selfishly wanted my wife to be with me. I said, you know, I don't know if you need to continue in this choir because I don't actually, we don't get a chance to spend that much time together. And, you know, it, 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 she didn't say anything about it. She didn't say anything about it because she's a wise woman. And she knows that there are some things that I'm going to be able to tell this man. And some things God's going to have to show him. And God, God actually, he, he, in, in the night, it just, it just touched me in my heart. It says, how can, you even, how can you even ask that? How can you ask that? How can you ask the woman that you met serving in ministry, the woman that you met who had given her life to God, how can you ask her to back off in anything that I've called her to? In anything that I've called her to. And so I always, I always wonder how, you know, sometimes we see couples, they, they come together, and for whatever reason, now that they're married, you know, one of them is, is pulling the other one away from ministry. How is it that, that you came to God looking for a spouse? And now you want to pull your spouse away from God. Does that make sense? How, how could you come to God looking for a spouse? Looking for how to choose. Looking to make the right decision. And then you are the instrument of pulling your spouse away from God. You know what that leads to. It leads to your children. You, you bring them to church. But then when they have their birthdays, if their birthday falls on a church day, you're like, you know what? Maybe we need to skip church and celebrate your birthday. The children that you, that you dedicated and gave to the Lord, you're saying we need to, to have joy and fun. We need to pull away from God. Right? What I, what I love about this ministry is that you know, our, our, our pastor has shown that we, we celebrate special occasions with our church family. 
that they are the people that we prefer the most. They're the ones that we prefer the most. Our lives are not separated from the people in this building. It's integrated. You are foundational. You are foundational into how we live our lives. And so as, as you consider your, God's purpose and his perspective on marriage, it's not, it's not for you selfishly, for your own selfish enjoyment, but it's to show forth the glory of God, to be a testimony, to be a witness between the relationship that Christ has with the church, the love, the care, the concern, and I'll just say it again, the, the, the selflessness. The selflessness. I love in our etiquette training, one of the things that, that the ministers pointed out that we were supposed to learn most was not about where to get our nails done or, or how to get a proper shave or, or how to pick the right cologne, but it was to show concern for the other person. How do we show concern and care for the other person and become a servant to those that are around us. Amen. Listen, we're going to talk some more about the vows. Everyone is going to love that. We're going to talk about submission. You might not love that as much. And then we're going to, we're going to, we're going to wrap up this, this teaching. But, but at this point, I really want you to understand is you should, you should really have a, a sense in your mind of how will I know when I'm ready for the married state? How will I know when I'm ready to move from where I am now into this other place? And one thing that, that you should know, and I'll just let, I mean, pastor's always telling us to make sure that we give the answers, you know, early and not wait until the end, that even though, even though you think you know, even though you think you know, there's some things that you don't know. Even though you think you know, there's some things that you don't know. And that is why you're going to have to trust and depend on the Spirit of God, on God's counsel, to lead you in this decision. Amen? This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.